You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music and tech. And we are back on the NAM trade floor. And today I've got with me Ryan Harlan, who handles content marketing at Reason Studios. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm, I've been pacing myself. Day three of NAM. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> You've been to NAM before, I assume. I've been to NAM. I, I don't know if this is my 18th consecutive year, but I've been coming for 18 years. You know, oh, so my I might have missed a couple here and there. So That's awesome. Well, yeah. we'll get into NAM a little bit since you're a veteran. We might find out some cool tips and stuff you like to do when you're here and, and that sure. sort of thing. But let's kick it off with an overview of Reason for anyone uh, who somehow missed what it is up to now. Sure. Uh, so Reason's been actually coming to NAM as long as I have, though I haven't been coming to NAM uh, as know, Reason. As Reason, yes. Yeah. So it was before my time. Um, so Reason uh, is currently it's a, the company that makes Reason is called Reason Studios. Right. That's a new uh, name for the Iteration. company. Yeah, yeah. So people might historically know Reason from Propellerhead Software, which was the the first brand uh, that we were under that put it out. And um, basically, Reason was an outcropping of Rebirth, which was a, a '90s a piece of music software in the '90s that was the big democratizing music making revolution of the sort of mid 90s uh, and what rebirth did was in the early days of computer based music when people were still wondering is it possible and things looked a lot more like a terminal prompt than they did uh, a you know an instrument uh, what rebirth did is it took the three most desired pieces of music soft or sorry music hardware at the time the 303 that was big in euro house dance uh, music and the 808 and the 909 and it put it on your computer screen at a cost that was a fraction of what it would take to make the music that was being made with that hardware uh, in in the real world so that they you made a virtual version of those three instruments a virtual altogether. version and and you know the, it was uh, it was revolutionary in the sense that it both looked like the hardware and functioned like the hardware you knew, but it actually sounded like it too because uh, our DSP guru and founder uh, named Pele, he, you know, he managed to model and actually get the behavior. So it, suddenly, a kid who was listening to, you know, um, dance music and wanting the sound of that 303 bass line could get it, and he didn't have to be spending the you know three thousand dollars that he would have been paying for a 303 on the used market for a broken one. You know, in 1996, he suddenly could buy Rebirth and he could make that. And from that, uh, the evolution became Reason, which was a sort of the the big brother of the Rebirth concept. It was, um, again, us pushing the envelope of what is possible with computer music making at, in 2001 when it came out. And we followed, again, the sort of the real-life metaphor that people could relate to. We gave you a studio rack on your computer screen. We gave you synths, effects, drum machines, samplers, loop players, you know, all the things that were the tools of the trade for music production, but running in your computer but running in a virtual studio rack where you could you know literally rearrange your devices you know control your signal chain and at the time and still what blows people away when they see it is you hit the tab key on your keyboard and your rack flipped around to the back and suddenly you were looking at the cables that we were all familiar with and are all still familiar with if you look at any guitar pedal board out on the NAMM show floor right now we're all we were all used to this idea of routing cables um, from a point A to a point B and so you weren't 
control clicking and looking through context menus for how to use this software. You were using it the way that you could. Had a real tactile look to yeah, it. Yeah, real tactile look. And, and it was very intuitive to kind of, if you thought of a signal flow, I want this thing to go to that synth and then to be controlled by this, you know, uh, signal generator. You, you could just wire it up. It was a very intuitive way of working. So what year are we talking with that? That's 2001, I think. Okay. That, uh, that Reason 1.0 launched. And were other companies doing that kind of virtual look to their interfaces? There was, so the yeah, the term that, I don't know when the term came into vogue of, of skeuomorphic design, which is what that fell under. Um, there were some people kind of doing it um, in a, on the front end. Uh -huh. Nobody, and still nobody really does it in the in the where back end, it. where you flip it. Oh, yeah, that's, cool. that's, that's still something that um, has just kind of been our, you know, uh, our uniqueness um, and it, it really is people who use reason really kind of take to it very quickly because of that but they also um, really come to love the way of thinking of sound as a, a signal routing you know? right gotcha so but anyway so it's evolved over the years it, it started as a as a synth rack and, and samplers they had a fairly basic sequencer and then like all software products you know there's iterative updates and um it, around 2008 or nine, it became a full-fledged DAW with audio recording and a full mixer and the whole, everything you could imagine a DAW being, it, it became that. And we sort of entered, you know, in the years before that, Propellerhead was pretty um, clear to say, well, we're not a DAW, we're not a DAW, that's a, that's a different thing. And they had all sorts of philosophical ideas about, uh, we don't want to be a workstation, a workstation doesn't sound fun, we don't want to be a workstation, mm -hmm. we're a, you know. Um, and then around 2008 or nine, once we added all those features, we sort of thought, okay, we're, we're a DAW, okay, we're, we're, we've made our peace with the term, and we are one. So. Well, because you went from just kind of being an instrument and wanting to give people all the tools of production that a DAW provides. Right, it, it happened fairly organically that the more people loved Reason, the more they were asking to do and stay in reason. So, you know, at the time that it was created, it was a way to kind of create, you know, synths and drum patterns. Right. But suddenly it's like, but I want to record my vocals. And, hey, I play guitar, too, and I'd like to layer some guitars in here. And, and so as that kind of spun off, then it, it was the very natural thing to become... Uh, to, to join the, the DAW world, as it were. Right. Yeah. And so let's bring it up to speed. I mean, you guys had some big news last year. Um, uh, yeah, right. where are you guys going from what you just described uh, in the most recent? So in a weird way, the big headline is that Reason's not a DAW. <laughs> 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 but no, what I mean by that, though, is actually it's... Um, we have... <laughs> We've had a, a big shift. It was a, a tectonic shift, if you will, um, in Reason Studios, uh, sort of next era of the next era of Reason Studios, in the sense that uh, with Reason 11, we added the new features that we add to our Reason DAW, the standalone now, as we call it, Reason Standalone. But we also now give you Reason in another variant, which is we now can run Reason as a plugin inside other DAWs. And so for anyone out there, I'll, I'll sort of try and describe this maybe in a way that is um, not quite so jargon yeah, cool. techy. Awesome. Um, people who make music work within this sort of holistic end-to-end -end production platform. Uh, there's a lot of them out there. It's the thing where they put their instruments, they record their audio, they mix their music, they export it for final release. If, you're, if you want to make an album, these days you are almost certainly working in a DAW and and some of them have become household names in the sense of Pro Tools and things like that that, that even if you're not a, a music producer deep in the weeds you might hear some of these names those are DAWs that's what you work in as a production but within those DAWs the instruments you use the synths that you might use the the virtual piano that you might add to your song the effects 
uh, or some of the things that kind of generate some of the tones, like you know, some of the more hardware-based algorithmic note generators, like a lot of the sort of experimental tech that goes into music production, those things run as what are known as plugins. And the, there's big plugin formats out there. VST plugins is one of them. Audio unit plugins is another format. And they run inside of the DAWs, which are referred to as a host. So you've got your, your DAW that you work in, you run your plugins. And Reason was a standalone DAW unto itself. It was one of those platforms that you worked in. And we had our own plat, and we do have our own plugin format. It was called Rack Extensions, but we were sort of, somewhat of a walled garden in that sense. That up until 2000 and maybe 13 or 14, we didn't, uh, you couldn't run a VST plugin format inside of our DAW. Our DAW had its own plugin format, its own instruments that it came with, and you worked inside of it. We opened that up to letting you load those third-party VST plugins around 2014, but the big thing this year, or that came out last year, it's the big news this year too, is that we now will run Reason as a VST plugin. So we're going the other direction. Mm. Now we are one of those, that you know, our rack, that rack that people love that you can, you know, cable and patch and create your own custom sounds, that's now running inside other DAWs, inside other hosts, as it were. So people who were kind of locked into another uh, walled garden now have this bridge between right. your instruments and your effects right. in their world. And people who use these these DAWs, these hosts, you, you're very particular to your, you know, I mean, and understandably, when you choose one, you spend hundreds of hours learning it. And... It's hard to switch. It's hard to switch. Mm. And you become, I mean, you also develop a very personal, um, even emotional relationship to this thing. It's right. this thing that helps realize your creative vision. So it's your partner. Right. It's probably the, the, the most consistent partner you have. You know, <laughs> bandmates come and go, but, you know, your, your DAW host that you work in is your creative partner. And so you become very attached to it. And telling someone, you know what, switch, switch over to ours, ditch that one and switch over is a much harder proposition and an almost... You know, not something. I mean, I have my own preferred DAW that I I like Reason standalone. I work in Reason standalone, but um, it would be a, a hard proposition to tell me to start using something I'm unfamiliar with. But in this way, we're not making that pitch to people anymore. We're saying, you know, a, a lot of people might have used Reason at one point, tried it, but then they may have moved on to another DAW. And we're saying, you can get all your sounds back, the synths you loved, but you can stay in the DAW that you are currently working in without having to, you know completely abandon the, right. your learning curve and all the things yeah. you put into it. Well, it's interesting. Um, this mobility factor of, of sounds and effects is kind of a theme we're hearing at NAMM of, you know, the connection between different systems, whether they're hardware or software or plugins or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, at Music Tectonics, we talk about these seismic shifts. And one of them is, you know, music production's in the hands of the masses. And... Uh, I, I could imagine that, oh, we can hear the uh, the big bass next door as the trade <laughs> hall right. starts to wake up here right. on Saturday morning. <laughs> you can put uh, in, note to self, roll off below 150 hertz. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, that mobility really creates ease for people because they don't have to keep learning new systems, right? Once they get into one place, they get to continue to adapt and adopt new sounds, new effects, new right. techniques that they couldn't before. So it's interesting to think about what is the effect on creativity of yeah. these very seemingly almost commercial um, and technical possibilities sure. uh, as, as that happens. Well, you know, I mean, it, the, the truth is, is that in a perfect world, um, all of us that design these things don't even want you to have to learn one system. We want you to just create. Mm. You know, the the learning is like, 
you know, that's the hard part. That's the pain in the ass. This is a pain yeah. in the ass. You yeah. know, when I got into audio engineering as a 14 year old kid, I remember my parents got me a bunch of gear, and for the first two weeks, I sat on the floor in my dining room reading the manuals, and they were going that out of their minds because, like, they would walk by, they go, "Don't you want to turn it on?" <laughs> and I was like, well, "I'm just trying to learn it." I'm so glad I did. It was the best two weeks of education I ever gave myself. That's cool. But you know, the learning curve is actually, you know, the what we would all love to have is that that you have an you have an idea, you have a drive, you have a musical spark in your head, and you can get down to making it, and you aren't wondering how do I make this sound or how do I um, sort of uh, realize this idea you know we just want to shorten that path as much as possible yeah. and, and not only between platforms but even within you know all the things that we design as well right makes sense all right so now we know what reason is you know where you're going um, before we go past that I'm just curious what differentiates reason you talked about the flipping of the the virtual instruments to get to see the plugs and the wires and all that the cables um, is there anything in terms of the the sounds that that people are there words that people use to describe the sounds they get out of reason or the workflow um well it's very uh, reason is very uh synth driven it is certainly um you know beloved by sound designers beat makers um people who are sort of in that if you're making you know uh, klezmer music the reason rack maybe it's super cool maybe you're about to push the boundaries if you hybridize it or yeah, something, yeah yeah but but it's definitely um it's it's bread and butter is in amazing sounding uh, synths effects drum machines you know it comes with tens of thousands of presets it comes with gigabytes of samples of you know all the sort of modern drum sounds you want to layer together and that sort of thing so in that sense um, that's kind of where it's it's wheelhouse so is. So EDM, hip hop, yeah. electronic music, Certainly. and sound design are yeah. kind of the top. But you know, and then there's that element where that is, that is so there's so much crossover right. now, right? Yeah. So it's like uh, the latest Maroon Five record has EDM elements in it, right? Yeah. And it's like so so where does where's the line? It's right. a very blurry line. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's applicable to a lot of people, but that's certainly um, certainly one of its things. Another thing that it that we do, uh, if if I can toot our horn, that we do really well, is um, so there's there's instruments, there's effects. We have a third class of device that you can include in the Reason Rack. It's something called players, and a player um, is a it's a device. It doesn't generate any sound. It doesn't alter the sound or color the sound the way an effect would. But what it alters is actually incoming notes. So when you play notes on your keyboards, it will alter the notes that are coming in. So a, a classic example is um, if I don't play, if I don't know music theory, um, I can filter out the notes that aren't in a particular scale. So sort of smart keyboard type things that we, you know. Um, but then from there, it becomes sky's the limit in terms of what you can imagine and what you can design. And so we've made devices that will turn single single keys on a keyboard into massive anthemic big chords for like a, a club anthem, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, we've got things that do drum programming for you. Uh, or with you, I should say. You know, the, this this is this gets into the. It's not making music for you. It's making. It's helping you make music. Right. Um, and I and some of those things. You know, like the music theory thing. Like I went to you know college for music. I understand music theory, but my gosh, is it nice sometimes to turn on to explore like you know B flat Lydian. Maybe I'm going to work in B flat. I don't know what that sounds like, but I can sort of get into that mode of of. You know, deep music that theory. Literal mode. Literal. That literal <laughs> mode. That's right. Yeah, the modal modal scale of B flat Lydian. I can get into that sort of tonality in a way that, and and explore that creativity. So these players, um, 
you know, there's there's other things out there that do what it's sort of a class of a thing called a MIDI effect, which is a little bit of a, a kind of technical term. Um, we do them in a very special way, an intuitive way, and the people who use them, it really does become um, a you know a creative lubricant that brings ideas out of you where you're not stuck fighting the technology you're just getting right to the creative thing that you're yeah chasing so it is opening up all this creativity because you don't have to study as much and you don't have to spend as much time building up some of the elements you can kind of grab them and start tweaking them to your own sound certainly so it's like a little fast forward button on some, on that 14 year old sitting on the dining room floor a little bit maybe exactly, exactly right <laughs> um but still lots of creativity cre creative possibilities regardless so. right hey so what's your role at the company ryan we haven't oh, even right, gotten to that right right so I do. Um, I, I sort of produce all of the all of the marketing content that you are likely to see. So if you, uh, well, I should I should preface that the video content uh, is kind of where I my my home lives. So our YouTube channel, um, I'll make all of the tutorial content that's on our YouTube channel. Uh, we do artist features where we'll, we'll visit an artist and kind of take a look at some of the work that they're doing with Reason. Um, and uh, we also do, you know, if we're putting out a new uh, product, we'll we'll make a video, kind of letting you know what it's about. But that all that stuff is kind of the uh, where I spend most of my day to day. And then I join in on the conversations related to the higher level campaigns and and kind of talking marketing about marketing campaigns. Yeah, marketing and campaigns and, and sort of the you know figuring out you know the messaging is such a, a corporate word. I don't I don't like yeah. kind of thinking of it in that terms, but really for me it's, you know, I mean I was a reason user before I joined the company and so I have, you know, I said people are very um, have that emotional connection to their platform. I have that in the way that right. I love the tool I use to make music. I want other people to understand what it can do for them. Right. And so I want that, you know, yes, I'm getting that message out as it were, but it's really that sort of evangelical side of things, you know, that I'm just, I was actually going to ask, are you a producer artist? Tell us a little bit about what kind of music or sound you like to mess with. Yeah, I, I mess with a lot. Um, as I think all artists kind of do these days, you know, it's, you, you ask someone, Oh, what kind of music do you do? And you're going to, they'll just start list. describing an entire Spotify <laughs> you know, catalog. But, um, so I wear the couple of hats I wear. I do, um, electronic, um, sort of on the poppier side of electronic production um, and I do uh, some some of that work I've done commercially my brother's a, a video game a music composer uh -huh. he came out of LucasArts and that whole uh, world and um, he's an orchestral scorer and so when he has a project that comes up where it's like oh actually they're kind of asking for more a, a Taylor Swift vibe, but with a little Beyonce, he'll bring me in on that and gotcha. sort of, you know, um, I'll, I'll when it's less orchestral and a little less more orchestral poppy. and more poppy. Yeah, yeah that's that's, that's fun. More so you're in some video games. Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you say which one? Um, yeah. Well, okay. So, um, or do my, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do. Well, that's I, it's funny. Some of them, I'm not a gamer, so some of them, like I know I'm playing mandolin on some big game that everybody's playing right now, and I can't remember what it's called, but my mandolin's on there. Um, but um, I did a bunch of music for uh, the Dancing with the Stars, uh, which I think in the UK is called. Uh, it's got a strictly come dancing. It was a big, you know, the TV show Dancing oh, with the Stars. Oh, gotcha. They put out an iPad version of that game, and and I did a bunch of the songs that the celebrities in the game are dancing to. Was nice. It's funny you mentioned mandolin. I see you're wearing your hardly strictly bluegrass oh, festival T-shirt. So that's the other hat I wear, and that's almost I, I you know, I've gotten big into uh, bluegrass. Uh, I play banjo. I play oh, wow. uh, guitar. I sing, and that is almost. Um, I've sort of thought of that as the. Uh, the therapy to the time I spend in the electronic world because elect, you know, electronic and pop music production is about absolute perfection mm. and everything needs to line up you know, to a 
to a T on a grid and be flawless and live forever. And it's you know, and then bluegrass is about getting together with five people in a room, making music just in the moment, just for that moment, just for that moment, and then it's gone. And there's something beautiful about that. <laughs> That's awesome. So you spend a lot of time making videos and and explaining how things work, and then also engaging with artists and talking about how they're using reason. And things right. Like that. Right. Um, cool. Um, so let's let's broaden out a little bit. We've gotten into some of this, but what have you what what have you seen happening in music making over the last say one to three years that differs from the previous era of music making? It's just the pace of change in technology yeah. so fast, and it's just really changing how people listen, but also how people make music, sell music, distribute music, all that kind of stuff. I'm curious. From your seat, you have a cool vantage point of having these conversations inside the company about right. the stuff and then interfacing with these artists out there who are doing cool stuff and you're an artist doing everything from bluegrass to video games to electronic pop um what 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 do you think's emerging right now on the on the artist side uh, the established artist side i should say the the thing that continues to happen is that diversification that of know, genre and of style genre of yeah if, if you're a producer um and you don't diversify at least early on in your career you, you know it's a it's a sink or swim sort of thing you, you need to be you know sort of a master of many things as you're kind of getting started so the, you see that diversification in um, certainly in the reason user base uh, but in the wider music world but the bigger thing that is going on between the the music tech guys and the sort of if you were to make a pie chart of people making music and then you included people who want to make music but haven't really gotten into it yet that's this far bigger slice of the pie and those two groups the the, the music tech the people who are making tools for those people and those people we're trying to understand each other and it's you know there's a somewhat of a mystery of who are these people and what are they you know what what has stopped someone who wants to get into music making but hasn't yet what is you know my i always think of my sister my sister growing up was constantly like, oh, she, she liked electronic music. She said, oh, I'd love to make electronic music. And here she was, you know, her brother worked in the industry, could give her a promotional copy of, you know, a tool to do it. And yet she never quite kind of, it didn't resonate with her. It didn't, you know, it wasn't the tool for her. And none of them were that, you know, she wanted to make something in a different way. And so the, the thing in, in this last one to three years that people are starting to kind of clue into is there's a different, when you want to make music, people who've been around for a while think that oh you want oh you want to make music that means you want to make a fully polished complete production uh, that you then you know mix and master and put up on Spotify. Got it, sure. But actually, there's people that no, they don't want to get that far. They just want to have fun. They just yeah. want to you know it's the TikTok generation. Creation and engagement are intermingling. Yes, yes, and it's that that notion you know the phrase of the good enough generation, right? Of like. There's a there's a whole class of music that they might deem good enough that someone who's you know been around you know for for a while would be like but that that song's not done it's it's only got a bass line and a drum beat and it's you know and they they don't quite match but the, they're perfect the person making is hey, that sounds happy. like bluegrass man <laughs> <laughs> right you can play with a mandolin and a bass and you'll be just fine yeah that's right <laughs> that's true I uh, in my banjo world I do a lot of fiddle and banjo yeah. duet stuff yeah yeah that's really poor, probably better example yeah. than mandolin and bass but yeah that makes sense but yeah so the the understanding of that sort of mentality and figuring out how can we make tools for those people as well because that you know that's a uh, absolutely you know our goal at reason studios is to help people realize their musical dreams we don't want to dictate to them what that dream should be and if their dream is uh, a, a simpler and more fun entertainment goal than um what has been historically a very kind of 
rigid production environment that we have all been living in in the in the DAW host world and the the sort of computer music era, uh, then we want to respond to that. And you know, it really is. I mean, we made the joke about fiddle and banjo, but it really is a little bit closer to what folk music yes. w- was meant to be or how it evolved and, and, and you know. That's uh, absolutely true. How it was lived. That's true. I've, I've made that, that point that, that folk music really was just the music of the people that was the music that was able to get into the hands of the people. When you go back to our, like, our old history of rebirth, like I was saying at the top of the, of the podcast, you know, that there was a sort of folk tradition in that that we took these tools that were inaccessible and got them into the hands of people that hadn't been able to realize them before and and you can actually you know musicologists far smarter than me could actually look at where popular music went or where electronic music went from the release of tools like um, you know, another program we put out, Recycle, which was another revolutionary beat juggling, sample juggling software. Uh, that was actually the first product that, w- that we put out. And then Rebirth, you know, there was actually a shift in the, where music went because of that. And so to be part of that legacy uh, is actually pretty a cool kind of, uh, kind of heritage to yeah, have. Yeah, that's really cool. So um, have you seen artists that come from this... Um, kind of DIY, I don't care about what the formal training structure should be. Have you seen any like emerge and actually start to release some stuff that leads to some success or at least some notoriety? Oh, sure. Any Anybody, I mean, I, I know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but it, it's fun, you know, after having this conversation, then to go to listen to something that's yeah. like an example of it. Well, there's a guy, I'm, now I'm going to forget his name and I feel bad for, for forgetting his name on the spot, but... Um, there's a there's a kid I shouldn't call him a kid he's a, a young man uh, but there's a guy who um, uh, produced an album with Kendrick Lamar on his iPhone using mm-hmm. iPhone apps mm-hmm. and that was you know that was a, a, because that's what he had that's what he right. had access to right. you know and I'm sure a lot of them started out they were just the free apps it wasn't even the paid apps that he was working with and um, so. You listen to his stuff, and it's amazing sounding. It's great. I mean, obviously, it was good enough for Kendrick Lamar. It's good enough for me. But it was certainly not done in that traditional way. At the, you know, at the time that he, I think that was maybe three years ago or something that that was kind of blowing up. Um, and is his name Steve Lacey? Yes, yeah, Steve okay, Lacey. I just that is. It up. There it is. Yeah, okay, Steve cool. Lacey. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. That's the guy, Steve Lacey. Yeah. Um, you know, when you um, when you listen to that stuff what you're hearing is somebody who was following a creative instinct and wasn't being held back by what he had access to and the rules for how you were supposed to go about it and the sound is just really cool you know it's, yeah it's, it's a really yeah that's a good one thank you um and are there other anecdotes that have come out of the reason artist producer community not necessarily those diy new generation folks but just sure any any artists that are champions of of uh reason or that you that you feel really uh exemplify some of the stuff we've been talking about Boy, there's well, there's some there's some crazy stories that we'll come take out. the crazy stories okay, too. I'll, the, the craziest one um, that isn't exactly about artists was that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase this so I may get some of the details wrong, but people could look this up. Um, I think it was in Colombia, the country of Colombia. There was a group of uh, federal uh, troops that were being held hostage by a uh, a group of you know the sort of drug guerrillas, and they were being held in this sort of remote area, and the uh, government wanted to let them know that, like, okay, we're going to be coming to rescue you on you know this particular day, or like this is what you need to get ready for our rescue. And the way that they did it is they made a pop song 
they put Morse code into the drum beat, I think it was, or Whoa. into the into the bass line or something like that. And they got the radio to play the song like it was just a song on the charts so that the guys in the in the prison would overhear coming over the loudspeakers. They would overhear the song, recognize the Morse code and know what to do for their rescue. Wow. <laughs> so, it, and it worked. It worked. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. insane. So that's the craziest story I probably have ever heard in terms of you know the impact. But now there's, a, you know, on the artist side of things, there's, a, you know, they're going to sound far less crazy uh, yeah. in comparison. But. But I talk to artists um, all the time. I love talking to artists and hearing their stories. And there, there's a, for example, I, I did an artist interview with this guy who uh, produces under the name Anonymous, and um, he did uh, one of his one of his claim to fame. He's done stuff with Timberland, uh, but he he did uh, that song with uh, Nicki Minaj. Uh, what is it called? It sampled the old um, uh, "Baby Got Back" intro. So, but anyway. Um, he went from Atlanta to Hollywood to sort of seek fame and fortune, and I, and he sort of exemplifies that the drive that you know our the producers who who use reason have. He went to the airport. He had his clothing and his keyboard as his carry-on luggage. They said, "I'm sorry, sir, you can only take one piece of carry-on." Left his clothing. Left his clothing behind. <laughs> took his keyboard on a one-way ticket to L.A. And you know now he's working out of Universal Music Group's you know Studio A and. And, and it's doing great. So those, you know, those stories are, are equally crazy in their own way. I love the sort of the ambition of that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. So I want to take another turn here. The streaming era has turned the music industry upside down yeah. and boosted it up with tons of growth. So on the one hand, it's kind of confusing, but on the other hand, everyone's seeing this growth and there's money coming in. So there's a lot of excitement and fans are loving all the access to music, but in some ways they have a more distant relationship maybe with artists and a lot of the artists are not thrilled with the per stream rates. Um, so, though others have cracked the code and they're doing just fine as well. We hear about that too. But how is the way that fans are listening to music, this streaming subscription, what um, some of the music tectonic circle will call music like water, how is that influencing the way people are making music? Right. Well, it's in some ways it influences it very directly. I know uh, an artist uh, in the UK, uh, Olivia Broadfield's her name. She's a songwriter and she now will write her songs and structure them in a way that she knows music supervisors will find appealing to sync on a TV show. So it, it works out to literally the, the instrumentation. I'll, I'll start kind of sparse, and then I'll build so it gets more. So then by the end of the song, there's a part. If, if the editor of the show wants a really busy, dense production, they've got that. And if they want a sparse production, they've got it in the beginning of the song. And so they, they li you know, it, there are people like that that literally approach their songwriting process with the end goal and the monetization goal in mind. Yeah. Um, and then obviously with, with streaming and stuff, there are people that, um, you know, streaming is, you know, we, we sort of have historically thought of streaming as like Spotify, you know, or Tidal or any of the streaming services as it were. But then there's this whole other type of streaming, which is like, you know, if someone uses my music on a YouTube video, that becomes a monetized stream. And so music producers are starting to look at that as well and getting their music onto YouTube content, onto just any anywhere else you can kind of get your music that actually has a monetization element to it. You know, there's uses in Facebook as well where you can, you know, videos on Facebook and stuff where you can um, actually you know, claim not in the in the litigious sense, but you can actually sort of claim your copyright and monetize your music in that way. Right. Yeah. So that is influence. I mean, it's interesting. You go back to 
to um, you know 45s were a certain length you know extended play EPs you know all, all those things impacted what you could record absolutely and uh, you know I think a lot of people kind of forget that or don't don't think about it and then CDs at some point there were people putting out 24 tracks on one album it was like insane somebody I read an article once that persuaded me pretty convincingly that CDs was part of what led to that late 90s early 2000s devaluation of music because they said the 74 minute length of a CD meant that you know, if you if you look at the era, the LP era to the CD era, you had a 33 minute album. You had to be choosy. You had to pick your best songs and put right. it on it. And suddenly right. you could put all that stuff that was not getting put on onto the album. And suddenly you had this experience of like, oh, there's only one or two good songs on this 74 minutes of music. And so. Well, when people uh, talk about being so upset about the difference in the the, the per purchase uh, arrangement between right. the fan and the rights holder, the owner, the the label, whatever it is, um, you know, oh, the CD days. That that was the Haiti, and then I think about it as a fan. I'm like, I bought so many damn CDs that I only wanted one track off. My of. brother made a mix once that was labeled. It was you know a mix in the sense of like an actual mixtape. You know, this is back in the day, but it was called. I bought this album for one song, yeah, and it was just it. all the one song. Album. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd like to hear that album. That <laughs> it was pretty tape. good, yeah. actually. <laughs> of yeah. course, it was. It was the best track <laughs> off of all these albums, and there was a lot That's of glut right. on these CDs. And so, you know, it's it's frustrating. I know. But in a way, in some ways, yeah, I mean, the music industry was kind of like, it was their, that was their walled garden was the right, CD in a way. Right. It's like, you got to buy it all. And then, you know, they started doing some singles. Remember those cassette singles? Yeah, right, <laughs> which, right, right. Which were super cheap and stuff. But Now, um, on the flip side, though, there's another element to that, which is um, I knew uh, there's a, a producer, uh, a big had a big club hit uh, in sort of the mid-2000s. And when he had that hit, he got signed to a big UK dance label that I, I won't name in shame. But he had a meeting with them, and when he came in from the meeting, what they said to him was, like, okay, now we do things differently here. You don't have to write a whole album. Just give us the hit. And he sort of had to explain to him, like, that's not how it works. I, I, I write music, and I can't tell you if it's a hit or not. You help me. I'll have my hunch. But often, like, the, the song that we're meeting because of that became a hit wasn't the one that I thought would be a hit. I can't or just, the one I cared about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, I can't just serve you up just the hits. Like... You have to. There's a certain amount of like churn to get the the good stuff. And yeah, and then in the digital era, you can do tons of churn. Um, we we uh, are one of our clients, a CD baby, and we helped them kick off the DIY Musician Conference uh, five six years ago, doing all the programming and stuff. And we had Jack Conti from Pomplamoose. Oh yeah, sure. Now, Reason user. Now, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Jackson. And now a founder of Patreon right. and, and CEO of Patreon did an amazing keynote, and it was uh, largely about keep putting out content don't perfect it right don't worry about it put it out let it go move on because every one of those is a fishing line and you don't know when the fish are gonna absolutely bite. and and that's the that's the newer version of oh make a whole album and we'll figure out the hit later yeah yeah um it's really it's not making an album don't spend all this money pressing plastic and and shipping it and having it returned or doing whatever else with it right but just keep putting content out and see what the see what the reaction is at the right moment and that particular song will do what it needs to do that's the life it was meant to live Certainly. and it might be nothing right <laughs> Well. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that that was kind of an interesting uh, piece to to this format shift as well. They're they're a good example. And Pomplamoose is a good example of that. And actually, you know, Jack's entire community on Patreon is that same thing. They are people that they've they've established a relationship with their fans where they say, if you if you like the concept of what I do, the overall concept, then 
let's I'll keep doing it for you and and I and I give you my word that's the sort of the beauty of that relationship is I give you my word that I'll keep sending you stuff if you'll keep supporting me and and you know I had heard early on that you know obviously as a musician he built Patreon with music in mind but that was not the community that initially started to have success there it was actually graphic novel comic book that makes sense journalists podcasters filmmakers things like that Um, but you know, he stuck at it and he was able to build the music community there now. So that's that's working. But I think it was that cultural shift, yeah. that ability for people to realize this is how you do it now, yeah. not how we used to do right, it. Right, right. Um, which is pretty interesting. So um, let's broaden out again. What sorts of emerging trends are you keeping an eye on in music creation, listening, and business? Are there, I mean, we talk a lot about things like. AR and VR and artificial intelligence music generation um, and, you know, live streaming of musicians and what platforms and tech, you know, techniques there are there about smart speakers and voice and how that's influencing music. But I'm curious from yours, none of that matters to, to this conversation, but I just yeah. want to give you a sense, like if you put on a futurist hat, are there things that you're like, I'm wondering this or I'm curious about that? Well, what I'm wondering, so the thing that, that I think the industry is wondering and executing on now is the very obvious presence but not yet shift to uh, the mobile side of music making. Oh, yes. Um, and it's it's one of those things, just like, you know, when, when Rebirth uh, and Reason were arriving on the scene, um, that was at a time when people were sort of wondering, you know, you, you sort of, people were having discussions where they'd say, you know, I think this computer is going to play a big role in, in music making. And we have that sense with, with the mobile side of things right now that it's going to play a big role and it's playing a role, but it's still very much that emerging thing where you're sort of waiting for the right spark to really suddenly take off in a way where it's like, oh, okay, now everybody's doing their music there and everybody's, and, and, and everyone's exploring it. We have mobile apps. We actually had uh, an app, we have an app called Figure, uh, which is a very sort of unique take on music making where we, it's that shortening that path where you, we just get you down to actually making music and not trying to learn you know we, we don't you're not, not not teaching you how to play a keyboard and you don't have to learn music tech and production dive just, in fast you just dive in fast yeah so so the mobile side of things is definitely the emerging thing but it's this weird thing because it's emerging but it's here so it's you're sort of aware of its presence so the thing i'm wondering about is what is that what is the after mobile thing uh, you know gotcha. because i mean the form factor of the of the phone that we have or the ipad is still you know, it's it's obviously very modern technology, but it's now what are we, thirteen, fourteen years into the iPhone launch? Yeah, so it's been a, it's old now. It's old now, yeah. So like, I'm 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 starting to wonder like, what is the thing that in eight years we're going to? Well, be you know, going? it makes sense to me. Yeah. We talk about music like water. We also talk about music like air, uh-huh. which we just started talking about this on the podcast here at Nam because it, it came up with our conversation with um, with Moog. Um, and it's this idea of ambient technology. Mm. And so the idea that um, the, the concept w- that I put music like air f- out for is related to smart speakers. It's related to voice. So y- at the very least, to listen to music, you had to press the knob on your radio dial. The knob on the radio dial is the most prolific powerful pieces of technology and music listening ever right because you start listening to music instantly with spotify you can't even do that right right you have right. to start clicking around with your thumb and looking around Choose what am i going to play and yeah, yeah, oh yeah. shit this is a heavy work man <laughs> I, how do i i mean yeah you got some crappy uh, car dealer commercial when you press play on the radio but you got music pretty quickly without it's a lean back experience right what you're asking is what's the lean back experience for music making and so that that's where i say okay 
what if you don't touch, you don't see the technology and you start making music? Right. That to me might be, maybe that's two or three phases down. Sure. I, don't, I don't know. Well, some of that stuff, yeah, you're right. And some of that stuff is getting explored now. I mean, even within the the world that we live in with, with reason, we have a, a player, you know, one of those player devices that I was talking about yeah. that convert note input. Uh, one of them actually doesn't convert incoming note. It's called the quad note generator and it is a algorithmic note generator and you can control the way that it's, algorithm is generating those notes but it's kind of it's a lean back it's a lean back experience and you and it's a i you know when i first got the beta and i started using it i started making music i would have never made in any way without it and it was still it still felt felt very like authentic to my style but it was me working with this technology and um yeah, I, and it was a lean back is a good phrase for it because that really is, you know, how it kind of felt that if I did lean back, it would keep generating and then I could go in and I could modify parameters and kind of change the way it was generating. But yeah. Dear Music Tectonics listener, I know you want a great idea out there. Here's your idea. We want a virtual, invisible music making smart speaker instrument where you talk to your Alexa or your Google Home or your Apple Home and say a few things and then music starts coming out and then you say a few things and it tweaks a little bit more. Right. There you go. There's your billion dollar idea (laughs) here at Music Tectonics. You know, there's you know, Imogen Heap's working on those gestural gloves, gloves, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's sort of headed in that direction, but it's also Yeah. 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 Um, I've been seeing the TED Talk since before they had a name, but um, even that still, you know, you're you're dealing with it's not quite fully lean back. It's still <laughs> right. You know, it's yeah. gestural. It's active. It's well, it's interesting because it's very physical, very tactile. Yeah. But there's no screen. There's no knobs. That's true. That's so, true. Yeah. Mimu. Mimu. M I M U. M I M U. Yeah. Okay. It goes by. Yeah. So cool. Well, that was fun. You guys are based out of Stockholm in Sweden. Sweden's having an outsized impact on the American music industry. Yeah. As an American, what do you think is giving Sweden such a strong music innovation bent that's actually succeeding so well over here? So I, this is a thing I think about because I go over there and I see all the musicians that are over there. So first of all, Sweden is the number three music exporter in the world, which is crazy. U.S. number one, U.K. number two, and then Sweden. Of and actual content, created compositions and yes, songs. Yes, number three exporter. What Swedish bands am I listening to that I don't know about? Well, so you've got the obvious, you know, the, uh, what is it, the uh, ABBA and uh, Roxette. You <laughs> it's know. all ABBA. Oh, God. <laughs> no, you've got all those. But you've got, I mean, for example, um, on the production side, Max Martin, are you familiar with Max Martin, the producer? Okay, so Max, you're familiar with his songs, I guarantee it. Max Martin is sort of the sound of pop music that we've known since. Um, he, he did a tune with Robin back in the, oh, I want to say late 90s, um, that set up the boy band era. He did oh, NSYNC, gotcha. he did Backstreet Boys. Oh, okay. Then he did, you know, he's done Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and like all this. But he's, that's he's a, Swedish that's music. Swedish. It's, yeah, it's the sound of Swedish uh, producers working with U.S. artists that make that sound. And do you think that? That that pop orientation presence there yeah. is part of this this kind of technology wave coming from Sweden as well. I think so. I mean, so the the why I think it's happening is my hunch has always been uh, Sweden invests a lot in music education. Mm-hmm. So when you're coming up in school in Sweden, you know we we sort of have in the last if you look at the last forty years of U.S. education, we've got dwindling budgets. You know, marching bands are are losing their instruments, and there's community fundraisers, and how can we save the choir or whatever? You know, they've been doing the opposite. They've been pumping money into educating their kids in music education, and you see the result. They grow up, they all play instruments, they all have a certain musical 
talent, whether they use it or not. You know, you might mm-hmm. once you're out of school, like I don't, you know, I took Spanish in school. I don't really speak much Spanish anymore. But there are also that number of kids that come out of school with that music education and they go into music. And so you've got just this huge constant influx of Swedes getting, you know, well-educated in music. And then on the other side of things, Stockholm is very much um, one of the European tech centers. So you've got on the gaming side, you know, you've got DICE uh, games that's based out of uh, Stockholm. You've got Spotify, you know, coming out of Sweden, you know, and you've got other tech, Skype, all these things. All these things we know that came from Sweden. And so you, you take the convergence of a population that's been educated in music and a tech capital, and it's kind of the perfect incubator for music tech. You know, we're we're doing a longer episode than usual because I'm having so much fun talking <laughs> to you, and we, we kind of got started early, which is great. Um, but what what do you get out of coming to Nam? Maybe personally as personally well as from a from a from a reason standpoint. So I mean, this is one of the um, few places in the world in this in in the calendar year where you can sort of get a sense of where is where are things at where are things going what are the trends you know so there's that invaluable you walk the show floor you know to anyone who's never come to the nam show it's kind of like a rock concert meets a college fair in a way that you <laughs> you really know is. yeah it's it like you, you go from booth to booth and everybody's showing off this super cool technology but it's it's in this dense format where you just walk 20 feet and now you're looking at something else really cool and cutting edge and new and so um, in that sense, for for us, it's a great way to get a sense of kind of where things are at, but also to meet, you know, we're meeting the whole time we're here, we're meeting with artists, Reason artists who make music with Reason, artists who have an interest in Reason, and, are, and we're kind of getting them up to speed on it. Um, influencers, that's sort of the, the new category of YouTube vloggers and stuff that have been um, talking about music making, and, and we either, they've either been talking about Reason already, or, or we'd like to kind of show them Reason, so there's that element that we can kind of talk to people here. So it's valuable from a Reason perspective and a Reason Studios perspective in that sense. For me, yeah. it's also something of a family reunion where you get to, you know, all the people that you uh, haven't seen all year and, you you know, you're all spread out and you're all at different el- you know, sectors of the music tech world and we all converge for uh, a weekend of, you know... Fun work. Fun, fun work, yeah, that's, yeah. A good, that's a good combo, yeah. And if you weren't working... What booths would you be going to? What would you be testing out yourself for your own music? What what events would you be going to? Are there panels or showcases or more just like, oh, I've always wanted to try? Or I always keep an eye on this company. They make such a cool blank. Well, that's where my that's where I start wearing my two hats. So, you know, like yesterday I had a, a free 20 minutes or something between two meetings. And I, I went down to the Deering Banjo booth, you know, which is like <laughs> sort of the, the it was almost like the the anti-phase polar opposite of this everything. This is your therapeutic I, yeah, uh, yeah, antidote. Totally, totally <laughs> my therapeutic antidote, right. I'm just going to go palate cleanse myself with a little banjo for 20 minutes. Um, but uh, but no, there's, you know, I, I'm I'm an audio engineer in my professional background before I was a videographer and before I was involved in music tech. And so uh, I just as a sort of fan that same 14 year old kid that was you know reading the manuals for how to use his mackie mixer now goes to the mackie booth to see what they're up to or you know goes and looks at sort of uh, the you know latest mic i was up at the audix microphone booth you know checking out there they've got a, 
a nice mic that I wanted to look at. And, you know, so that's that's the sort of stuff. Yeah, that's cool. You just go around. It's it's the the fandom is still there. You know, eighteen Nam shows later. That's awesome. That's <laughs> great, man. Well, Ryan, this has been a blast. Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Any holes you'd like to fill before we wrap up? Or if you don't have that, where can people see your videos? Right. Um, well, if anyone out there is interested in getting started making music and hasn't yet, we obviously would encourage them to take a look at reason and they can do so at reasonstudios.com they can look at us on uh instagram and twitter and all those are handles at reason studios so it's pretty simple enough to find us wherever we are and uh if and, and almost an even bigger if if you're someone who is currently making music and had heard of reason but chose a different daw or used reason and then moved on to another daw the big thing that that I would hope people know is that Reason now running as a plugin in other DAW hosts means that it is available to you again um, or available to you in a way that it hasn't been before. And so I would hope people would kind of take a look at Reason and see what it could do for their, their music because it's uh, it certainly can do a lot. I can, <laughs> I can attest to that personally. Awesome. And any artist name people can look out for out there in the world for you? For your, do you go by something? You have oh, recordings no, out there? Just my, I just, oh, no. You know, I'll, I'll they have to catch mind. you kind yes. of on the street somewhere. <laughs> that's or. Right. That's right. I, I live happily on the side man side of the uh, equation. Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> so. cool. Ryan, this has been a blast. Thanks for so much uh, for taking so much time out of your NAM experience. No problem. It's been fun. And I wish you a happy NAM. Okay, cool. You too. And thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. Uh, we've got more coming from, from NAM. Make sure to hit subscribe so you can hear all sorts of creative crazy ideas new releases and big picture conversations we'll be back with more Listening to Music Tectonics.